And if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 11 in our time together this morning. There's been um, several times in my life that I've had a chance to play on different ball teams. And I, I often tell people, looking at me now, you may think I never played sports, but I actually did in my earlier days, uh, played basketball and soccer. And um, I found different kinds of teams. I mean, there, there were some teams I played on where it was just like you gelled, you know, and everybody worked, that we understood who our opponents were, we had the same purpose. We, 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 we weren't a bunch of prima donnas. We were kind of giving to each other and just, it wasn't about us. It was about the team, you know, that whole thing. Then again, on the other hand, I played on teams where it's quite different. And it was all about how a particular individual can shine on the team and stand out and be, and, and you know what happens if, if you can have a team that knows who the opponent is, that has the same goal to win, but if they don't work well together, you're in trouble. You know, I was remember, I, I, I couldn't help but thinking, I don't know if you're Villanova fans. Um, I, I was really happy Villanova won. Maybe you weren't the college thing, but whatever. But that last, did anybody see the Villanova game? That was like an incredible game. But, but I couldn't help but think, I watched that guard with four seconds, five seconds left, dribble down, draw people in, and at the last second, he pitches it off to another guy who puts it up and makes the three-pointer. And I thought to myself, I mean, could you imagine him going down and saying, I'm not passing anything off here. I want the glory for myself. I'm not, you know, not that way at all, was it? I mean, and, and that's, that's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two. Um, remember we talked last week, if you were here, that the church is a colony of heaven. We're, we're an outpost away from heaven, reflecting to the world what heaven's supposed to be like, right? And we said a colony has to stand strong against anything that opposes the gospel. And a colony has to stay focused on the gospel as their goal. And I told you last week, there was a third point, but I wasn't going to drive that one home because it would have kept you for another hour and wouldn't have done anything, or a half hour, and wouldn't do anything quite like that. But this is the third point. If we are going to be a colony of heaven, we've got to relate sacrificially to one another. And, and that's what Paul gets on in this passage. In verses 3 and 4, I want you to know what Paul, first of all, tells us to do. So today I'm going to look at, first of all, what does Paul tell us to do? How should we be teammates with one another? Okay. And, and then secondly, I want to look at um, why we should do it. Verses 5 through 11. But first of all, what is it that he tells us to do? Look at verse 3. Folks, I want you to see how hard this is. I'm going to read these verses, and if you read this and go like, boy, that's like really easy. I mean, take walk. Then either I'm not communicating or you're not listening. Okay, this is not easy stuff. So what he says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, 
But with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. You could say it like this. In my relationship with each other, don't do anything. And the, the word he uses, could, first word there, could almost be translated selfish ambition, which means, is it possible to be on a team? Is it possible to be in a church? And for me to be most interested in being ambitious and using you rather than serving you. Is that possible? It happens all the time. Don't do anything in such a way that you're saying, how can I use that person for my purposes? Or by empty conceit. Empty conceit says this. I'm better than you. Why should I use you in the church? Because I value myself more than I value you. That's why. And Paul says, guys in the church, don't do that. Don't look at people ever to use them. And don't think you're better than them. But folks, it happens all the time in the church of Jesus Christ. Rather, what I want you to do is, in humility, there, verse 3, I want you to regard one another as more important than yourself. So the first point is this. Think less of yourself and more of others. Um... Is that easy? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But it's what the cross, it's what the church of God is supposed to be about. I, I, we were talking about this last night a little bit. Tim and I both have relatives and friends that, I don't know if you heard about this church uh, up in, um, it's an area where I used to live. We were, it was 10 minutes from our house. So we have relatives there and we have friends that go to the church, Keystone Church terrible tragedy last Sunday morning at the beginning of the service and, and I don't know all the details okay I, I so I there's probably more to it than this but the beginning of the service a guy apparently was sitting in the seat that somebody else normally sits in that's all I know and 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 that person didn't like it so he talked to a deacon who came down and asked the gentleman if he'd consider moving the guy said no so the deacon said okay everything seemed okay then somebody sitting behind them tapped him on the shoulder, showed a little badge that he was part, part of the National Rifle Association or whatever, and, and had a gun. And he said, you know, I think you ought to get up and move. Something like that, he said. And the guy turned around and punched him. And he pulled out his gun and killed him. Last Sunday. No, no, it happened. I'm not, it's, it happened. In the church, and um, I have a, I, 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 when I heard about it, I immediately called my my Sherry's sister because her her children go to the church, and they had gone to the early service. This happened at the beginning of the second service. Everything had gone awry there, hadn't it? It was all about I don't care. That's my seat, and somebody else saying no, I don't care. I'm sitting here, and somebody else saying get out and saying try it. Everything going awry. And no, nothing, nothing like that has even come close in this church. I get that, okay. That, that's an extreme example. But in the church of Jesus Christ, and we need to pray for that church, Keystone. 
Because this week they're meeting and they have to talk about that incident to the church as a whole. Because they disbanded, uh, obviously, right after that last week. So pray for Keystone this week, today in particular. Um, and and this, this is saying the church of Jesus Christ is about thinking less of yourself and more of others. But that is not easy, folks. Because all of us are madly in love with ourselves. That's the truth. In verse 4, not only should we think less of ourselves and more of others, but we should think of ourselves less often and of others more often. Look at what he says in verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul says, look, people are really good at caring for themselves. And that's not a bad thing. That's not like, it's evil. No, it's life. And he doesn't say in this passage, don't care for yourself. No. What he says is, don't be so focused on your own needs that you can't empathize and reach out and enter into the world of others that are struggling. You know, I watched this happen in Sunday school today. It was really fun to watch. Terry was teaching and talking about John chapter 13 where Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples and, and, and um, one in the class had shared a request at the beginning of the class and in the middle of the class, somebody else broke out and said, we need to care for this person in this way. At the, and I, I was just watching, I was going like, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to, and I won't mention names because I won't embarrass anybody, but I was just watching, I was going like, that is really cool. Because here were people that were just thinking, how can I enter their world and think a little bit about what are they experiencing right now and now look out for them in the same way that I look out for myself. That, that was just, that was a wonderful blessing to see. And, and folks, it happens here all the time. I get it. But it's not easy for any of us, is it? it it's always the work of the Spirit of God within us so that we think less of ourselves and more of others, and we think of ourselves less and more often of others. It's not easy to do. So here's the question. In this passage... How can we do that? Where do we find the motivation to be men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are really legitimately concerned for one another? And we reach into each other's lives not to use and manipulate, just because we care. You know what he says in the passage? Verses 5 through 11 and he says to think much of Jesus. The more we enter into what Jesus has done for us, the more we will be freed and empowered to love like Jesus. Look what the text says, verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what you're going to find out in this passage, folks. It's very, very important. You're going to see a V. Verses 5, 6 to 8, you're going to see this downward descent of Jesus Christ. And then in verses 9 through 11, you're going to see this upward rise in the V. And what Paul wants us to do is be so overwhelmed by this V about Jesus Christ that we step back into the lives of others and love in a way that we could never have loved before we recognize how much he's loved us and who he is. So watch his descent, because Jesus descends into greatness. It's downward mobility rather than upward mobility in this passage. Um, it's a little, I, I, stay with me, because I'm going to get a little theological with you here, okay? But stay with me, because it has a purpose. Theology always does, or it should. The passage starts out by saying, Jesus, although he was in the very form of God. Let me tell you what that means. That means an eternity passed before Jesus Christ came. Eternity as far back as you can think and then way beyond it because it's timeless. Jesus was God. He has always been God of God. We talk about the Trinity. One essence Three persons. It's been that way for all eternity. It will be that way. That's always the way it is. It's so the text says, although Jesus Christ was deity of deity, he did not reach out and grasp equality with God as something that must be his own. Now, this, now stay with me. He's not saying Jesus was saying, boy, I'd like to be God too. He was God. This is what it's saying. In the Godhead, there is Father, Son, and Spirit. In the Godhead, the Father is the Father. The Father sends the Son, right? And so when it says Jesus didn't grasp, what it means is Jesus in his role as Son did not say, bummer. Like, why can't I do the Father thing? Why do I always have to go? Why can't you go sometimes? Or, or something like that. Although he was God of very God, he had a different role. He assumed the role of submission to the Father. And he never said in that process, hey, I don't want to go. Like, why don't you go? Or why can't... Never although he was God. What did he do? He didn't reach out and say, I want that rather than that. He didn't do that. Rather, it says he did two things in this passage. It says there in verse 7 that he emptied himself, and it says in verse 8 that he humbled himself. He emptied himself, or I like to say he impoverished himself, in what we call the incarnation. And then he humbled himself in what we call redemption at the, at the cross. 
First of all, he impoverished himself. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Suppose next week I pulled up into the parking lot. I pulled up in this gorgeous, bright red Jeep. Brand new Jeep. Bing Finders Jeep. I've never driven a Jeep. I, I've thought about it, but I've never driven a Jeep. This beautiful, bright red Jeep. And then I told you this week, after a big rainstorm, man, I'm going to go down and have a blast in the mud with this red Jeep. So the next Sunday, I pull up, and you don't even know it's red. I mean, it is caked with mud. But boy, did I have a good time. Is that Jeep's redness gone? Or is it merely cloaked? When Jesus impoverished himself and became a man, he was no less God. But his deity was cloaked in humanity. And Jesus purposely limited the expression of parts of his attributes that he, for all eternity past, he functioned with them directly. For instance, Jesus, omniscient? Absolutely. But when he was cloaked with his humanity, he chose to learn. Omnipotent, all-powerful? You got it. But as a human, he chose to submit to the Spirit. I'm sorry, he chose to submit to the Father and depend upon the Spirit for everything he did. And at any point, he could have stepped out and said, hey, man, I'm God. I'm not doing this stuff anymore. No way. No way. Jesus impoverished himself by adding humanity. He became the God-man. What would it be like? I mean, think about this. I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious. Jesus had to be potty trained. The God of the universe would so impoverish himself and become the, 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 the God-man that as a baby, he had to be potty trained. He had to be fed. He had to be taught how to walk. He had to be taught how to read. He knew all, I mean, as God, he created language. And now he has to learn a language. Do you realize what he did for us? God of very God did not reach up and said, I'm not going, no, rather in submission to the Father and obedience to him and love for humanity, he came. And in the process, as he cloaked himself in humanity, he impoverished himself. I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, I just don't fully understand the depths of the incarnation. I, w I wish... Because the more I think about it, the more it makes me just kind of go, God, you are so unbelievable. I, he will be the God-man for all humanity, all, all eternity, folks. Do you realize that? that? That will never end as a constant reminder of the one 
who would be willing to sacrifice for others. He impoverished himself in the incarnation. He humbled himself in redemption on the cross. Look at what he goes on to say here in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, it doesn't mean that he just looked like a man. He was a man. He wasn't sinful, but he was a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you mean God would so enter into the experience of humanity that he would experience death for us? Yeah. And, and not death merely physically, but all of my, 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 my eternal punishment of hell and all the consequences of my sin all put on him. Yeah. He humbled himself and was obedient to death. Even death on a cross. You know, the, the Romans killed people a lot of different ways in antiquity. Sometimes they would decapitate right off. Just cut the head right off. And, and as awful as that is, you've got to admit one thing, it's pretty quick and painless. I, I, mean, you know, I mean, I'm not for it, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Sometimes they would burn people to death. That was much more painful. But the torture they preferred above all other was crucifixion. Because it did a couple things. They live in an honor-shame culture. You want to shame the enemy. So you put people on the cross, often naked, so that people go by, and they just, they just want to shame them. And what they would do with the cross is they normally designed it so people would remain on the cross for days. You want them to go through intense pain for as long as possible. As a reminder to everybody that stands up against Rome, this is what will happen to you. So Jesus doesn't just die. He does, he dies. But he dies in a way that's marked by pain, prolonged, and absolute shame and dishonor. None of which he had to do. You remember when he was arrested? Peter, who wasn't much of a name, took out his sword and swung. All he could get is an ear. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Dear old Peter, man. Dear old Peter. And Jesus says, I could have called 10,000 angels. And that fast, I could have stopped this whole thing. But he chose to humble himself in obedience to God because he loved us. This is probably a lousy illustration, but I'll give it to you anyway. Back in the 1930s, a bunch of young white men got onto a bus. And they saw toward the back a black man sitting. And they thought they would jeer and mock and ridicule and have a little bit of fun. 
And the man was quiet, never said a word. Hey, come on, pal. You know, they were, they were taunting him. Hey, we can take you on. You, are, you know, all kinds of stuff. This ridiculous stuff. But he never said a word. And then he pulled the string for the bus to stop. He got up, and as he walked by, he handed, him a, handed one of the guys a card and just got off the bus. And the kid looked at the card, and here it was, Joe Lewis, the heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> so, you know, that, I mean, at any point, he could have gone pop, you know? It would have been over, man. You know? He could have taken on three of those guys, nothing. It would have been nothing. To, but he didn't, didn't he? He didn't. He just, he didn't. Such control and such humility. How much more, blessed Lord? At any point, he could have stopped it. Hey, come off of the cross and we'll believe you. He could have. He could have. But he wouldn't. And he hangs on that cross. He pays for the sins of the world. Out of his obedience to the Father and his love for us. The text goes on to say, this one who impoverished himself by becoming a man and humbled himself by dying, but not just anyway, but dying on a cross. Look what happens in verses 9 to 11. Because he resurrects from the grave. And look what the text says, verse 9. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Folks, that doesn't leave anybody. That's, like, that, that's everything, okay? Like, just in case you're wondering, that's everything. Created, you're there. Okay, that's it. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I read a verse to you from the Old Testament? This image comes right out of Isaiah chapter 45. Bible says this, God, Jehovah God is speaking. And he says this, he says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. By myself, I have sworn by my mouth, I have uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Here it is. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every knee will swear. I'm sorry, every voice will swear. You know what he's saying? In Isaiah, he's saying, there is coming a great day. And in that great day, every knee will bow to me physically. Every, vo every, every, every mouth will, speak, will confess who I am verbally. They will either do it in celebration because they know me or they will do it in resignation because they don't know me, but they will do it. And all that honor that Jehovah God says comes to me, I want you to know in Philippians chapter 2, that comes to my son. Because he has been faithful and going and dying and obeying in the most difficult way, he will be exalted on high. See, Jesus does this, doesn't he? Do you see that? What does he call Doug Finkbeiner to do? Do I start as deity? If I think I do, I'm in big trouble. 
somebody needs to talk to me. <laughs> you see, I don't start here. I don't know. I, I mean, how do you even, I'm like, I'm way down here. I don't even know how to say it, but like, I'm way down. This is way down, okay? Did I ever die for the sins of the world on the cross? See, I, I don't start where he starts. I don't go where he goes in its depth or in its ultimate height. All I do is work the middle ground. I mean, this is my Jesus, Doug Finkbeiner. That's it. That's it. It's my life. You just saw it right there. And so this incredible God who's become a man and done all this for me and is exalted on high calls me to move into all my relationships and stop being so focused on myself. Oh, Lord, I have the, Okay, I know you have these needs, Doug. Fine, fine. But other people do. Think of yourself less often and others more often. Oh, Lord, I can't. I don't. Think of Jesus. Okay, that helps. <laughs> Doesn't it? It really helps. And what I want you to do, rather than valuing yourself more than them and using them, I want you to value them more and sacrificially give to them. And the ultimate motivation, folks, is Jesus. The more we make of Jesus, the more we're empowered to live like him. That's what the text is saying. I was... Um, I was thinking of a story that I think I've told you before. So I'll just kind of run to the caption line of it. But I, but I often think of this passage when I think of it. Um, you all know Dawson Trotman, the name Dawson Trotman. If you don't know the name Dawson Trotman, he began what was called the Navigators back, I think, in the 40s. Uh, maybe could have been in the late 30s in conjunction with with war, the, the war and so forth. Great ministry, navigators, saw, saw just thousands of, of servicemen swept into the kingdom, came to faith in Christ. I mean, he just, the guy was just all about the gospel and investing in lives. In 1956, he was up on Scroon Lake in New York, right by their camp that they had up there. And apparently, I think, I think a boat collided with another one that he was in. He was hurled out. Several people were hurled out, and it was freezing cold. Somehow he found his way over to one girl and got her to the boat, and I think another one. And, and, and finally, after he had done that, he sunk to his death. Time Magazine, July 2nd, 1956. Under a picture of him, it said this, here was the caption. Always holding someone up, so died Dawson Trotman, the navigator. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Do you know if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You may never get that caption in Time Magazine. I don't think Time Magazine would do that today. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that caption from God? 
And folks, we can't do it on ourselves by ourselves. There's just no way. We're just too madly in love with ourselves. That's the truth. But the more we enter into the person of Jesus Christ and reflect what he has done for us, that God would tell us to be like this incredible Lord, knowing that God in his incredible grace chooses to reward us in ways that we don't even deserve when we live for him. It's just all unbelievable to me. It's so gracious, it's unbelievable. And he only asks us to work that middle ground, thinking less of ourselves, more of others, thinking of ourselves less often and others more often by thinking much of him. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we have to confess that we don't even fully understand how incredibly gracious and loving you are. I mean, we, we, we do to a point but we're going to need all eternity, as you tell us in Ephesians 2, just to understand the incredible, manifold grace and mercy and wonderful love of God. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us by sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us by coming. And Lord, if there's anybody here with us today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, their issue is not about loving others. That's secondary. They need to know you first. They need to experience your love. They need to experience your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. They need to come into the family of God, be forgiven of their sins, be adopted, be part of the family, and then to be empowered by your Spirit to know what it means to love others. But Father, for those of us that know you, would you please overwhelm us with Jesus? Not just right now, not just as we sing, but throughout our week, which will then empower us and motivate us through your spirit to begin thinking more of others than ourselves. In Christ's name I pray, amen.